Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, welcome to Talking Fanfic. Um, this is Sarah, your host, also known as Story Shark 2005. Good, good to be talking to you guys. I know it's been a little bit. It's um, September. It's uh, what the second week of September. I'm hoping to post this on September 11th, hopefully 2022. Um, which my last episode, it's been a few months, and I've got actually a really interesting episode for you guys today, because um, in September, I'm in season three, but I've had this episode, which is a topical episode I recorded with my sometime co-host and sister, Elise51, aka Laura, and we've had this recorded since February, and I won't burden you with all of my myriad excuses, but I've just had it sitting on my computer, and Today I sat down and was like, fuck, dude, I need to get this edited and up. And so it's September, this is recorded then seven months ago. Um, and actually, it was funny, I was listening to it, and especially in the first 30 minutes where Laura and I kind of recap what we've been reading, what we've been doing, um, that was us uh, seven months ago. And it's funny because I talk about like, I'm just getting in the cold flash, and I've got these authors hopefully lined up, which if you're listening to season three, you know I did get them lined up, and those are the first two episodes of season three. And it's funny, we do a little, uh, maybe 10 minutes or so, talking about Gallagher-cest, which at the time I wasn't really into, but Laura was, and of course I'm completely obsessed now. So actually this next episode that you hear will be kind of my, um, me and Laura's sort of primer on Oasis fic, band fic, RPF, Gallagher Cest. All that stuff is going to be in episode 303. But um, since this is all kind of oddly situated in time, I'm actually backdating this to be the last episode of season two, because I actually didn't get to 10 episodes in season two anyway. Um, so this is really just a really, really, really late season two, episode 10. So if you're listening uh, in the future and this... Um, you know, this should hopefully just be the last episode of season two, but my current listeners here in September 2022 might be a little confused, but that is what is going on. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm going to try and really belt out that next Gallagher Cess primer for you guys um, real soon. Um, but I uh, that is next episode. And then I've got an interview with an author called GB, who is incredible. That's recorded. I just got to bang that edit out. And I will do that very soon because um, you're going to want to hear her because she's amazing. But this episode is surrounding the topic of choose not to warn and a fic called The Operative Word by an author called Road Rhythm. It's really good. And I say in the episode that I think that discussion starts about 35, 40 minutes in. Um, so if you want to skip everything that me and Laura have been uh, just, you know, fucking around with talking about the Flash and Oasis and all that good stuff, you can't skip. I think it's somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes as we start talking about Choose Not to Warn in this fic, The Operative Word. Um, and that discussion, I just, I was like, I just was really mad at myself that I didn't get this episode out there earlier because it's actually a perfect way to end season two and begin season three. Um, it's topical. Um, our discussion is really great. I, I'm actually proud to say I was I was proud of the the prep we did for it and the way that it's discussed. And I think that the nature of archive warnings on AO3 and who the burden of warning a reader 
lies upon? Is it the reader themselves? Is it the author? Is it a little bit of both? Um, what are the archive warnings? What is the difference between choosing not to warn and clicking that button that says no archive warnings apply? There's a surprising amount of people that don't understand the difference between those things. And those are critical, especially if you're a reader that gets uh, upset by heavy stuff. So I think you'll really love this episode. Um, since I'm doing this as season two, episode 10, I'm going to bring back last season's music. So that's kind of fun, which is also appropriate because Cobra Kai season five just started. So you get a little bit of Cobra Kai music that was inspired by the season three finale, I think. That, um, you know, that uh, Phil Collins, you know, that music. So Cobra Kai music, as always, he's amazing. Um, so enjoy this episode. The next one I will release will be season three, episode three, and we'll be talking all things Oasis. And then the fourth episode of season three will be GV. And then we'll kind of go from there and see, see what else I got for you. Um, thanks for hanging in there with me. Love everybody. Be kind to each other. Have fun. Can you see, um, like, the timer and stuff? Um, we go back to yours. Yes. Oh, yes. Now I can. Now that oh. you, yeah, we're recording, I guess. I like yeah. that. That is nice. Do you have a cocktail? Do you want to get a drink or anything? I was just about to say, maybe I should get a you beer. Should get a drink. You should do that. Get one. No, oh, I think that's my shirt she got on, by the way. It is your shirt. I, was, I found it at the house. You need yeah. to come get it. Oh, yeah, you're good. It's a nice option. I remember it's a little small, maybe. Oh, it fits me. Per- I'm kidding. Oh, good. Um, fin- uh, finally framed it up. Uh, Damn, it that was received and a badass. So is that that's one that Chris bought you? Actually, no. So um, he just bought these Superboy Robin ones, and then um, then he, he found out because I was like, "Hey, I'm buying myself a Christmas present." And he's like, "Which ones?" So hmm. he just bought the extra frame once he found out. Oh, so he's so thoughtful. I know. God damn. And then, so, and but mine came late. I actually had to email Dustin Wynn. I think actually Dustin Wynn. It seems like um, not, and he finally because it. I don't know the order got misplaced or something but uh-huh. finally came in and he also included a free poster <gasps> that he signed oh. of the um descender which that's I awesome love. which you love oh my gosh look this little tim so right cute oh this little space uh, suit yep so exciting and do you want just a, a quick uh, this isn't because I have. Well, that was a weird sound. No what you got was, going on oh, there? Oh, I'm not supposed to open it from that side. Okay. Oh, it's just packaging. I was like, what? It's like really loud in this speaker for some reason. Oh, sorry. It's probably right near wherever my microphone is. Yeah. Okay. Um, but some Robin, uh, small. There's Carrie Kelly. That was Barbara oh. and then Carrie Kelly. Uh, but there's Cass. So that was this super came with your badass. this came with your order I, too. This was another one I ordered, and I'm going to like I want would like to frame these up as well. Mm. Um, either together or separate. You'll just but, have a uh, whole room of dusted wind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's Damien. Oh, I love that. Is that a baseball oh, the bat? Baseball bat. It is. No, that little stinker. Yeah. 
I feel that little seeker. Um, there's the Nightwing, Ooh. which is very cool. Pretty Dick Grayson. My favorite, of course. Oh, Jason. He looks scary there. He does look scary. Are these like little postcards? The, yeah, sort of, except they are, I mean, they're prints, um, kind of a matte finish. Mm. Um, they're like, super cool, but I don't know. They, like yeah, a five by eight. They're not size, actual postcards or anything, but yes, I do believe they're like five by seven. Um, they're stacked, oh, step. Which I, like I love that, that. One, which is cool. Because he basically does all the robins, really. Um, and they're Timmy. Oh, I love his hair. So I know. Much. That, is sweet. <laughs> that looks a lot like how he draws the uh, Dick Grayson Robin in the new Robin and Batman. But that's okay. That's okay. Oh. It's Robin. Robin's a Robin. <laughs> Robin's a Robin. Anyway, that's not true at all. Uh, no, anyway, there's so many. And they're all unique little, little sparkly <laughs> jewels. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you get yourself a beer? I did. Let me show you what I got after I put away my plastic covered memorabilia. Okay. All right. Let's get down to brass tacks. <laughs> we just watched Blazing Saddles the other day. Yes, we did. Uh, did you have you guys seen it recently? Or? Mainline. Okay. Sorry. Uh, I have. <laughs> ah, lovely, lovely, lovely. Do you lovely. want to know what I have? Lovely legs, Lily. Lily legs, so, Lily. I, um, I need to stop now. And I'll put the whole thing. <laughs> uh, I have like basically purple Gatorade and gin. I literally have gin and juice. Wow, that's the uh, <laughs> purple drink. There's a word somewhere to describe that, but uh, I think Snoop Dogg wrote a whole song about it. Uh, who is well, just at the Dave? Dave Chappelle has like a stand-up bit about purple drink. Oh, that's right. It's really good. <laughs> oh, God. Well, yep, that's what I'm uh, drinking, and I already feel slightly drunk, so this is going to be a good episode. Excellent. Welcome here, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Fanfic. Uh, as you can hear, I'm here with uh, my sister and sometime co-host, Elise51. Uh, Holy who is playing a pirate today. I'm just kidding. I'll cut that out. Um, so we're doing a little episode on um, where we'll, we'll kind of like recap some things kind of like we did last time. And, but we do actually have a reason for doing an episode. Um, we both read a fic uh, a couple months ago that really centers around and brings into question uh, the choose not to warn tag. Um, and it's a great fic and it brings up a great talking point in fan fan fiction and fandom um so yeah that's uh that's what we're here today for yep it's very disturbing and sad <laughs> i'm just kidding no it was wonderful but... uh, all of those things yes yes um, and it would be highly recommended by this particular reader uh that if you haven't read the operative word by road rhythm uh you should not listen to this episode and you should go read it and then you should listen to this episode and that is how you will get the most out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll dig into the operative word um, in just a few minutes. I, yeah, we'll dig into that and get into it. But I'll uh, link it in the show notes so that you can just click right from your phone where, wherever you're listening and read it. Because, like, absolutely. Like, I always have that dilemma with this show when I'm talking to an author. Like, I don't want to ruin the experience of reading a work. And sometimes I toe that line between spoiling but also being able to dig into the fic. But this one is absolutely the experience of reading it is 
as it's almost like a separate thing from like the actual quality of the writing and the, you know, what happens in it. It's like the, uh, like what it does to you as a reader is really important. And so it's not the same, like actually spoiling it ruins the experience, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and like what we'll be discussing is sort of the, the consequences of that what what that story it's like the story in itself and then yeah you're right the separate experience of reading it and like we're interested in both of those things i guess yeah absolutely so but i will warn you before we dig into that um i figured though you know as we as we do on our little um collab non-interview episodes we usually like to catch up a little bit talk about what we've been reading what we've been writing um so let me, let me get my notes up here. Uh, Laura and I are constantly testing each other back and forth about what we're reading and writing. And um, yeah, um, so I I continue my descent into the cold flash world. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, was, I was telling you, I couldn't remember the last episode. I know I talked about it, but I can't remember when I got into this. But it was one of those things where I was deeply into Clark Lex fandom and, and still am, but I sort of just needed a break or refresher and I can't remember mm-hmm. how I found it, but I started reading some cold flash kind of thinking that like, oh, I mean, I haven't even seen this TV show. It's just aesthetically great. And it's a hero villain ship, which I love, but you know, this isn't going to be like a thing for me. And then a month later, it's little absolutely did you. little did I know. So, um, I actually have an interview that we're nailing a date down. So I'll be talking to one of the biggest and best authors in the Cold Flash fandom soon. I don't want, I think I don't want to spoil it. So I won't tell you who, (laughs) but she uh, has some of the most read fix in the Cold Flash fandom. And there's a second author I'm actually hoping to get. We'll see how that goes. Um, But I should be talking to her sometime next month. But um, I'll list some some fix I've been reading in the Cold Flash fandom. But it's just it's great, and it's like the first fandom I've gotten into where I, I haven't seen the canon TV show. Actually, until recently, um, I just recently started the Flash TV show, and um, from what I've read, most people say at least watch the first season because um, it's supposedly one of the best like hero first season like superhero shows first seasons. I think it gets pretty silly after the first season as seems inevitable in the Arrowverse. Mm-hmm. The CW. CW show. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Look at Smallville. It's like um, there's always like a uh, either a core idea or ideal of what the show really could be and should be and maybe showed very good signs early on of being. And then it, it just doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah. And I like, think um, I'm sure I'll dig into this in my uh, Cold Flash interview, but it is. It, it really is great. Like, I don't know. You did you watch the pilot? Um. Yes, I watched the pilot with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. It's um. Barry is a great character. He's like your heart on your sleeve, and he's like just more. I feel like he has more charisma and personality than I hate to say it than Tom Welling's Clark Kent. The writing and characterization is certainly more consistent than Smallville's writing and characterizations were. And the supporting cast, I mean, Smallville supporting cast was awesome, but like. I was going to say, you can't really, I think the supporting cast of Smallville, at least in the early seasons, was excellent, but. Uh, yeah, the actors are awesome. I think it's just, 
when I start to think about the writing, that's the that's the thing. Like they they get good actors, which is surprising. I think for now, I think about CW. It's usually like, don't they just pick pretty people? But in Smallville, you did you had the Kents and the Luthers, and like the amazing kind of cast. In even the prettiest people were actually like Chris Crook, solid actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's that yeah, something happens in the writing room, and I think especially you. It's like the the room of writers. If no one person has a coherent, or maybe they have a coherent plan, but it, you know that will only cover say three seasons. But oh, the mm-hmm. studio wants fifteen seasons, so naturally, you know it just fall apart and becomes weird and inconsistent. And I don't know. It, it seems to be inevitable. Like if you want to make money over a long period of time, the show's probably not going to stay good. Yeah, I think so. And we'll see how the flash goes for me. But um, yeah, obviously, the cold, the cold flash, it's all about Barry Allen and Captain Cold. Wentworth Miller. Wentworth <laughs> Miller. <laughs> <laughs> he is, um, ooh, how, what's the best action for what? Icy hot. That, you know, they should, like, <laughs> so that was my uh, worst uh, suggestion for what they should actually call Cold Flash. You should call it Icy Hot, but. No, that would be heat wave. He was with heat wave. You're right. Mm. Yeah, I yep. wonder if they do call it icy. Oh hot. yeah, no, they um, do they actually? Wait, cold. Well, it's just so often that it's also like there's cold wave? It's pretty, Well, I don't know because I think oh, so, it's probably cold wave. And but Barry is usually also in there as a as a three three, <laughs> yeah. three wave bearing. So cold flash wave. I think. Cold flash wave. <laughs> And then there's Cold West Allen, which is you get Iris in there. Ah, uh, ah, uh, So okay. uh, all kinds of ships. I love Cisco and Lisa. They're my, they're Sounds my favorite. Sounds funny. I don't know much about it. Oh, them, yeah. So. You have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll dig into that in the interview, but I'm having a ton of fun. So I'll put some recs uh, in the show notes. Um, anything by Redhead, anything by Crimson One. Um, there's a... A cute story called uh, Sinners Reconciled by Blue Wanderer, which is – is this the one? It's – um oh, yeah. It's like a prostitute AU. Like Barry is a prostitute. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my cold flash. So it's, it's becoming not just a um, sort of distraction – um, side mm, pairing. It's, it's it's starting to take over. I feel like this will be my next obsession. So <laughs> stay tuned feel it. Uh, for that. And and uh, also, I feel like this will not turn into a real OTP. But I have been um, dipping my toe into after I saw Spider Man No Way Home. Oh <laughs> yes. Yes, you know the <laughs> Peter two and Peter three, the Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire. Um, there's there's uh, a decent amount of fic. My favorite is Hard to Find, which is where Peter two and Peter three. I know it sounds fucked up too because it's like technically self sessed, but it's not yeah, really. They're, they're not characters. really they're right. Not really. And there's a cute <laughs> thing because at the the end of that movie, no spoilers, uh, is devastating for poor Tom Holland's Peter. He's a very lonely person. Suffice it to say, at the end of that film. And mm-hmm. so there's like a few fics that are like family dynamic where the Peters all stay in one universe and Peter two and three adorable. are like parent figures for <laughs> Tom Holland's Peter. It's fucking or baby Peter. 
adorable. Yeah, the problem with those, of course, is that um, the logistical nightmare of having three male characters with the same name. Think about writing like a left scene, (laughs) like Peter touched Peter's Peter. (laughs) (laughs) That came to the top of my head. Amazing. Yes, usually they get around it by doing like. uh, Andrew Garfield's is like Peter, then Tobey Maguire's is Parker, and then <laughs> Tom Holland is Pete. So you have Pete, Peter, and Park. <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. Right. Anyway, that's yeah. when I when I feel like something totally, I don't know, like easy to read and self indulgent guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. I will go right. to the Peter yeah. Peter tag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have you been up to, Laura? Um, well, gee, uh, I'd say I have been attempting, I did finally update, sorry, I dropped something, um, my Tim Dammy fic. I don't remember how much I had, um, published last time we talked, but now I have, I think, five chapters mm-hmm. and I've been kind of pleasantly surprised by the kind reception to it. I don't have a following or anything like that. Um, but it's, uh, for me, uh, has received a good deal of attention relative to what my other stories have. And, uh, and I'm still enjoying it and excited. Um, I don't normally release stories before they're finished and that that was new to me. So I'm a little frustrated at myself for doing that at the same time though. Um, it is nice to get the feedback as you go. And I'm not averse to like going back and editing if I want to. Um, but definitely people are like, Oh, can't wait for more. And you're like, really? Because it's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm a pretty slow writer. Sorry. Uh, but I have like a, you know, I have an idea of where I want to go and I've got a lot of like future scenes sketched out, but, um, yeah, not someone who's just going to crank out something overnight. I just don't work like that, but that's been really nice. Um, and have been, also, like on the side, this is balancing with school stuff, and uh, but kind of working long term on another guy Kyle fic that I am excited about. I love that one. Um, yeah, kind of dealing with Guy Gardner and um, like a long character piece from his football days to Lantern days, and looking at kind of the head injury thing. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, just kind of my my new standard seems to be f- like flashes through time, um, and I kind of mix them up. Like the Tim Dam is called Now and Then, so it is interweaving of the present and these hopefully moments from the past that kind of bring the story together. Um, so I think that one might take on a similar uh, shape. Um, other than that, my other obsessions have been that I've been listening to a lot of Oasis mm-hmm. and all things Gallagher. And I broke a sort of soft rule for myself because uh, I usually kind of – I don't really shame on anything in fan fiction, but I sort of kind of to myself do shame a little bit on RPF fic. And mm-hmm. I just ignored that and started clicking around for the Noel Liam stuff and have found actually a couple really fun um, – because, you know, when you start delving deep into that um, sibling – uh, relationship let's, it's just you know let's clarify here so oasis is a yes. band in the do they start at all is the 80s or just 90s just 90s 90s uh mainly consisting of two brothers liam and noel gallagher british 
Um, they do a lot of kind of referencing and probably building off of the Beatles catalog, or a lot Definitely. of people compare them. Yep. British. And Mankey. Uh, Mankey from Manchester. And oh uh, god, there's just so much drama. You could probably say, but the um yeah, yeah. so this is this is fan fiction based uh on their life, so it's RPF, real person fiction. Yeah. Not only that, uh, a lot of these uh that Laura is uh <laughs> breaking her shame reading. Uh it's, like it's not a real rule, but it's kinda of like a fake rule. Fake that rule, yeah. Myself. That you didn't know that you mm. could do it, but now that you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, incest. Yeah. So Liam and Noel in some kind of fuck up codependent mm-hmm. um, romantic relationship, much like yeah. what we'll talk about with the Winchesters. But these are uh, real brothers. And yeah, that's when you start saying like, because we're always like, you know what? They're fictional characters. They don't matter. So in this case, you're like, oh, that's start- that is starting to toe a kind of ethical line, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, although if you're clear about, I think if I like say if I were to ever write something. Like, normally I don't think claimers matter because it's just patently obvious that these are, like, not, you know, real people. But in this case, you'd be like, these are fictional versions of an idea of real people. However. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, philosophically, it's interesting that, I mean, it's very easy with people that are totally made up in fictional stories to say these Mm -hmm. are fictional characters. But then you do get in this odd gray area where fictional versions of someone that has lived and breathed under that name – Right. Real people. But of course, we all know that, yeah, these are fictional stories and that didn't happen. But yeah. yeah, it's interesting once you start, I don't know. Like, if it is like upfront, like it's not liable because I'm not claiming it to be true. Right. Um, but uh, they're certainly like, I, yeah, I'm just, I just don't care enough to not read it. But, uh, <laughs> well, you showed me this great um, primer. Yeah, Sorry, go. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Maybe we could link the primer. Like, it's not it's like, yes, this is like um, a messed up idea, maybe in a way, but it's not really out of nowhere, is it? Yes. Um, yeah, we'll link that primer. <laughs> Laura sent me this Tumblr link. She's like, oh, dude, I'm in this fucked up uh, I'm this stuff about these two brothers in this band. And I was like, what? And she's like, just and read I'm like, this. Google Glasgow. That was a Glasgow. No, let's see. Where was the, the, the infamous uh, kiss? Not quite so brotherly as you'd maybe expect. Uh, I mean, if you just Google Liam Noel Gallagher kiss, then you get some um, rather, uh, you know, not just smooches on the cheek. It's it's a little strange. And there's maybe some tongue involved. Anyway. <laughs> well, I, Locke uh, Lomond. That's what you should. Locke Lomond uh, would be the, the key word there. Yeah. Oh, see, a lot of angles on that one. And, you know, the real answer is, like, just probably um, a lot of drugs. Yes. And alcohol were ingested. I would say so. <laughs> like, during that whole period, <laughs> including that day. Um, I was actually – I think maybe we should just – okay. So, we'll link this. It's called uh, Gallagher Sest, A Primer – by Snickfic. <laughs> and l- let's just read the intro here. Um, if you are into, here's a bulleted list. Fucked up codependent sibling relationships with optional incest. Check. Larger than life, endlessly quotable train wreck people. Uh, check. 90s Britpop nostalgia. Check. 
fandoms with years and years of canon material to get lost in. Check, check. Old school fandom chock full of messy ship dynamics, underage and under-negotiated kink. <laughs> check. Then have I got a ship for you. Whoa. <laughs> in all caps. So um, it's, it's a great little live journal article that just gives you a primer on who Liam and Noel are, where the fandom kind of comes from. Um, and we, and- a, a critical thing is that also that there's like this big rift. Actually, it's it's sort of unhealthy how these guys followed the path of the, the Beatles, mainly yeah, like – it seemed to channel like – especially like Lennon and McCartney in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, this like productive, super close like singer-songwriter relationship, music, musician relationship. And then um, Liam and Noel basically in 2008, I think – 2009 something like I think that 2009 okay i believe uh at a one at a show noel basically walked off stage and they were like notoriously like these guys fought like insane people and they're just extremely uh-huh. different which is nice aesthetically um but there's like a rift and they haven't talked since and you can go on twitter and follow liam on twitter which is the best thing ever Come super on, entertaining know. so funny Yes, they're very charismatic. And there are actually a couple of great documentaries. I watched um, Supersonic, uh, which is a documentary about the band. And then um, Liam Gallagher, as it was, um, is also another really good one, especially if you're kind of like, I think you can't help but be drawn into whatever uh, charisma that Liam Gallagher has going on. Um, that's another really good one, more centered on his comeback after uh, Oasis oh. ended. Yeah, Liam is the front man, singer of Oasis. You're probably more familiar with maybe his voice, although Don't Look Back in Anger, one of their biggest tracks was um, the vocals on that are Noel, actually, who normally just does guitar. But I think according to what you said, Laura, like because Liam was fucked up a lot, then Noel just sort of started singing on a few tracks. And then that's what sort of got him. That was part of it. He said that's part of it that got him to try to sing more because Liam wasn't always as functional. And then he did, he like found out he could like he carry a tune. Um, And I think that it wouldn't be hard to imagine that that might've contributed to like Liam's maybe some insecurity or whatever you want to call it. Cause that was Liam's job. Then at the same time, though, at some point in those later years, Liam uh, wrote a few songs himself and actually really nice songs. And so I think that also later led to his solo career in which he has written some really nice songs or co-written a few really nice songs. Um, so they can both do both. But I think part of what made Oasis special was like all the best songs are going to be Noel writing and Liam just brings something out with his voice that uh, is hard to hard to quantify and hard to replicate. Ugh, yeah, he is he is amazing. He is a strange one, but one of yeah, those just like, like. And you first to me, if it's like if it's, if you're like me, like the first time you hear his voice, you're like, huh, I don't know about that. And then you, I don't know, but you keep listening, and the ah, oh, so the, like their best songs are like so good. Like, do you know what I mean? And. Uh, actually, like Talk Tonight is a Noel sung song, and that's really good. Um, so I like them both. They harmonize really well. But something when you put them together, it's like Lennon and McCartney. Like they both had wonderful solo careers, but you put them together, and you, you're getting the best that they can. It seems like anyway, the best possible stuff. 
Yeah, and I think just talking about RPF, it's interesting because, yeah, a lot of people will tell you that, um, oh, you know, anything flies in fandom for me, but I don't know about RPF. But, you know, we living and life and history, it's just all stories. And I think with charismatic people like that who have led interesting lives, um, the potential for stories um, is always there. And like, I so my familiarity with like band fic and band fic is like a whole other genre of RPF in a fandom that is super popular, especially these days with like um, BTS and like boy band. Like that's always oh, right. been around, but <laughs> particularly for me, uh, and I think you you were there too when we both had like a pretty intense Beatles uh, yeah. phase getting into the music and then of course anything we're into in real life we translate that over to fandom life so we got mm-hmm. into Lennon McCartney slash and some incredible writers have written um, fictional yeah. stories about fictional John and Paul did Kendall Beck do any she did McCartney? absolutely okay. Okay, that was big yeah some there. of the best um, yeah I mean there's there's a lot of talented authors but definitely there. she wrote a story called Miles Away um and just a lot of like the, I think she wrote three or four popular John Paul fix, and a lot of that was like the dug into the, um, what am I trying to say? Is it like the Lost Years or whatever, or that. What but also, uh, I think Miles yeah. Away was more the early. Oh, the early years. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like the formation of the band and John and Paul's relationship with like they both lost their mothers. And kind of stumbled into each other and realized that they were very sort of sympathetic on the type of music they liked and what they mm-hmm. wanted to do with life. And, you know, blue collar kids with, um, I don't know, who just wanted to be rock and roll stars. So um, Savage and Wise was somebody that was writing in the Beatle RPF fandom. Oh, okay, and then, okay, yeah. Yeah, and then you sent me this Gallagher yes. <laughs> series that Savage and Wise co-authored. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, co-authored with um, an author called GV. I'm not like particularly familiar with either of them, although like you say, you were familiar with uh, Savage and Wise. <clears throat> but it's called Love in the Time of Corona. It's a play on the uh, Love in the Time of Cholera. Anyway, so like a quarantine fix series, sort of. And it is multiple part not finished technically i don't know if they'll pick it up again but it does have multiple parts so it's not just like one chapter written or whatever um and i can't remember who does who but like savage and wise does either noel or liam apologize i can't remember and then gv um does liam, yeah yeah savage wise does liam and okay. gv does noel yep yeah both are wonderful and like um What's kind of cool, too, is they incorporate, um, particularly Liam uh, tweets a lot. Noel does not, but there's a couple that they do use. So they'll use the real-life uh, non-fictional tweets, and they weave them into this fictional story. And then there's text exchanges that happen eventually that are fictionalized. Um but so it is an interweaving of like real events and, and some real things that we have access to. And then an, an imagining of what might be happening um, in these characters' minds otherwise. Um, and basically an idea of a uh, slow kind of uh, reconciliation plot, I guess you'd say. Um, 
uh, with flat, a lot of flashbacks and stuff. And, um, what, like, I mean, they're just fascinating people and they've got a fascinating background. Um, you know, trauma from childhood, you can't help but include that because a very abusive father. Um, but a lot, just a lot of baggage to deal with. And, but they're very familiar with the big events and the general timeline of the Oasis years and then uh, after. So just very good, like very, um, obviously it's going to be a complicated story with those two characters and uh, kind of sweetly written. I think like Liam's one of those characters that's probably maybe less complicated than he seems. And I feel like Noel is actually more complicated than he might seem. Mm. Noel often comes off as pretty cold, I think, especially in the fandom, because at least these days it seems like Liam's the one that he said some really shitty stuff, but he also like is a little more uh, open about his hopes for reconciliation and, he does want his brother back and stuff. And he's also in his songwriting, just a lot more transparent about, Hey, these songs are actually about Noel. And I don't think he really denies that. Uh, whereas Noel would be like, Nope, Liam's obsessed with me. He can't move on. I don't know what that's about. I've moved on. Yeah. And you know, so anyway, um, yeah, very highly recommend that. And then I also just actually last night found another author, um, just a lot of good stuff so far. Uh, man's got a limit and that's another one we can link i have I just kind of started on some of their uh stories yeah that's awesome uh yeah i feel like once you kind of give up uh preconceptions about what you should and should not read and just go like uh, i'm gonna read what i want to read yeah well and it's not like these people are making money off of it that's the other thing oh yeah so, yeah it's absolutely it's just for fun just for fun and that's i mean i don't know it's just like like you said they're interesting characters and life is a story and why not is yeah. my view on it and it's such the writing is so great in that savage and wise gv series and it it's like is. you know it's, like, it's relevant with a sort of pandemic thing so it's got mm-hmm. that like present day relevance going on and then um yeah it's painful and it's sweet and it's um yeah, just like like the points of view and the language that they use because these guys are like blue collar Manchester. Um, yeah, I don't know. They just got a very distinct voice. As I, I feel like especially yeah. Liam. It's not Coldplay. Yes, yes, it's not Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, they have a very just like John and Paul and uh, Beatles RPF. You've kind of got to get a certain voice down, and I think both these mm-hmm. authors have a great voice and language that they're using, and it's just. Um, wonderful so um yeah highly recommended maybe one of the more advantages of having a two author fic if one can kind of feels like they can master one and the other one can master the other then there's less seeping you yeah you've got two consciousnesses contributing so that that's kind of cool yeah yeah and we i guess we've done that a little bit with like uh the la russa stuff where sometimes you would write the johnny i would write the daniel that's yeah fun. kind of mm. yeah now, eventually, you, I mean, you did write the majority of that, and you wrote some wonderful Johnny stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there were some times when I was, uh, yeah, writing a little more Johnny, and uh, mm-hmm. you have a wonderful, wonderful, uh, I was supposed to say Ralph, but uh, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I know. What I mean. <laughs> it's the same person. Really, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's what we've been kind of reading and working on. Um, should we dig into this uh 
supernatural fic? Sure. Let's do it. So, um, I think this was like end of December, actually. It's been a little bit. I was trying to look at our WhatsApp chat. So, this is the time to go to the show notes. I'll put it the first link. The story is called The Operative Word by Road Rhythm. And if you are interested at all in what the heck is creator chose not to warn uh, or chose not to use the archive warning system, this fic is like the embodiment of why that we believe is a legitimate and needed archive warning the choice to opt out so this fic is about choice it's about free will um it's in the supernatural phantom it's got dean and sam so please go read it um and then come back and uh listen to what we have to say i guess if you're interested so ugh, now you've read that operative word do you remember, Laura, just first of all, before we dig into it, do you remember the feeling of finishing the last sentence of that fic? And um, <laughs> I remember, oh man, like coming down to it. And even though, like, I think, you know, it became obvious sort of the vector of it, you know, um, maybe even before halfway through or around halfway through when Sam has this moment where like there's a lightning in his soul of I've made my choice and that's it. But still, as the reader, you think, that's nice, Sam. Too bad we know that it's going to be a happy ending for you. Um, and I feel like I kind of cl- – like there was this dual um, thought in me that said, hey, I really respect that the author is uh, making an attempt to go down that road. Uh, but I'm glad it's not going to go there because who would, who would do that? go there? Who would, who would go would there? Do that? Who would do that? It's too well written. There's an obvious love for both Sam and Dean in here. Um, so, but as you know, that cursor came closer and closer. Were uh, you looking? Were you looking at the sidebar, the scroll? I can't, and I wish I should have marked like exactly when that happened. But at a certain point, I did become more and more conscious of like, how is she gonna do this? Like, this really looks like it's just gonna end up being fucking dead, man. And. uh you know, it's like when he's starting to get cold more and uh, yes. Dean's starting to finally, like, accept a bit, you know. And then it looks like, oh, we're almost done, you know. Um, and I tell you, like, well, there's the – when they're driving and it's Twilight, can we pull over? And then the Galahad story, you know, obviously started to get to me. Um, but I think it wasn't – in my mind, and I'm probably, like – turning this into a narrative in my own memory, but um, near the very end when um, when Dean says, I'll give you 20 questions. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, just, like, the goosebump shiver, like, through my whole body and then just, like, tears. Because yes. then it was, like, now I'm accepting. Um, it's, like, now it's, like, the soul is accepting this is exactly what's going to happen because now I can see there's only like a few lines left and it really is. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm getting emotional just like talking about it. Yeah. Wonderful. And, and then like definitely accepting that like it is the only way in a way to write this story and to truly be, um, in harmony with, what it's trying to say, the message it's trying to send, 
and being consistent with what Sam truly wants deep down and how it harkens back to the very opening conversation. And it's like one of those things where you knew this was coming all along. Like we've, this author has told you exactly what she's going to do and she hasn't really beaten around the bush about it. Um, and there, there's a harmony to it and the, to the way she did it. It's really gorgeous. I think like you, it's like that first, it's like, it's almost like, um, it's like, I don't know. It's like the Dylan Thomas poem, like I'm raging against the dying of the light. But then it's like, I went through all the periods of like acceptance, like anger, the five stages of grief, the five stations of grief. And finally at the end, I'm like at acceptance and I'm happy that she wrote it because I, if, if she had DSX smacking at her way out of descending, um, all of a sudden someone came down and booped him on the nose and he didn't have to, it's like, that would seem so inauthentic now that I'm looking back. So, um, yeah, not until the very end, I'd say, did I really start to realize that this was going to, um, not just talk the talk, but walk it, uh, as well. Oh, yeah okay well let's uh let's back up here a little bit so you've read this listener you have read this work you're not just listening to this blind because it's going to ruin everything (laughs) i'm assuming for you so the operative word road rhythm as laura said and implied and as you've been asking or as you've been listening to us um this is a this is a story where sam dies at the end it is additionally tagged fuck or die, which is a little <laughs> bit uh, retrospectively tongue in cheek. I don't know if you would call it that, but it's certainly telling the truth. This was a yeah. fuck or die. And it messes and then subverts that trope um, yeah. very effectively, very well. Um, because a certain, I was just going to say, a certain uh, aggrieved readers have noted um, usually when you read, a fuck or die fic, you know what the ending is, right? It's not going to be die because the genre is itself set up to force characters (laughs) into what is often at the very least a dubiously consensual physical encounter, if not a non-consensual, which would turn into semi or fully consensual. (laughs) But it is a trope with a purpose and the purpose is to get two characters to bang right absolutely and so um the title although we'll, we'll maybe discuss the sort of technical effectiveness of the operative word as a title but it's basically saying like yeah you better take that trope literally because that is literally <laughs> what happens there's actually two options in that trope <laughs> there are two despite the cliche and what we've come to understand on face value, that is exactly what this fic is. It it fulfills that tag. Yes. Yes. It does not, however, have a character death warning on it. Instead, it has a critter chose not to use archive warnings, which is something it's a it is an opt-out basically of archive warnings, and it's something that's very, I think poorly understood among a lot of fans and causes can cause the type of reaction and uproar that you can read about in the comment section of this fit. <laughs> yes. But uh, anyway, let's just, I think maybe briefly outline a little bit or talk about the things that we like about this fic. Um, I just wanted to mention right off the bat, the, 
as you said, kind of like you had a very similar, I think, timing of uh, acceptance at the end. And I think that was so well, um, what am I trying to say? That was so strategic that she ended um, the fic on that 20 questions it's a yeah. it's a frame it's a framing device mm-hmm. it's it's we're back full circle to the beginning of the fic the circumstances are all different but it's like this little signal uh as soon as sam says i'll give you 20 questions uh or is it dean that says that hold on at the end i think i saw that it was i think it's dean it is Dean. And Dean is the one down. in the beginning who also starts the 20 questions game. And then, yeah, at that point, you've got like one scroll left. So you know exactly what's happening. Sam's getting cold. And it's um, – so it's like a device or a, or a, a chosen structure that tells you it's, it's coming to an end. The end is the beginning and all that good stuff. So – yeah, and, and it's uh, so it's that's how the fix starts. Is this we've got the boys in the Impala playing twenty questions, um, and I was thinking about reading some of this out loud. Yeah, but I mean, basically, all everything, all of the themes of this fic are all laid out. Like like you said, she tells you exactly what she's going to do. Like everything is laid out in that opening. Let me just highlight here a little section that I was going to say probably the freedom. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so this is Sam and Dean in the car. Um, Dean has initiated – the boys are teenagers at this point, we've gathered. Um, Sam's, I think, in the back of the car. Dean's in the front of the car. Yeah. Uh, And Dean's started this game. Um, So this is from Sam's point of view. He's just starting to drowse when Dean's voice breaks the silence. Got one for you. Something in his tone pulls Sam back to fully awake. He's not sure what it is. It's different from before. Okay. Shoot. Animal, vegetable, or mineral? None of the above. Noun or verb? Noun. Is it a concept? Yep. Sam considers. An abstract concept that does not exist. That could cover a lot of ground. Does anybody believe in it? Yep. Do a lot of people believe in it? Yep. God is such an obvious play here that Sam almost guesses that, but he holds back. It's too obvious. And Sam has never disagreed with the sentiment out loud. So there's no reason Dane should bring it up. Unless he somehow found out. No. No, not likely. If he knew Sam has been dabbling in prayer, he'd be making infinite comedic hay. And whatever his mood is, it isn't mocking. Dean's humming something. So fragmentary, Sam doubts he even notices he's doing it. His fingers tap a rhythm absently and almost imperceptibly where they're laced across his middle. Sam knows all the same songs as his brother, but he can't place it. Are people taught to believe in it? The fingers on Dean's stomach fall still. I don't know. Sometimes, I guess. But mostly, I think they just want to. Like, naturally. Yeah. Dean might or might not count that one as a question. That half-formed tune is in Sam's head now. What the hell is that? Why do they want to believe in it? Yes or no questions, dumbass. (sighs) Does believing in it do something practical 
or does it just make them feel better? <laughs> what? Feeling's not a good enough reason? The musical fragment hooks into something in Sam's brain. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when he sang the blues. <sighs> Did Janis Joplin sing about it? No answer. Sam sits up. Dean, do you... You really believe that? There's the rustle and slap of someone rearranging a leather jacket into a better pillow. <laughs> believe what? That hedonism's the way to go? Hell yeah. Sam doesn't even engage with that attempt to play it off. No such thing as freedom? How can you believe that? Dean pauses. <clears throat> I read about this guy in a magazine, Phineas Gage. One hand tears a hangnail off an opposite finger and flicks it somewhere. <clears throat> he got an iron bar through his head working on the railroad. Survived it, but turned into a completely different dude. Like, his friends from before literally said he wasn't him anymore. Sam knows about it. The article he knows about it from also used this curiosity to make some kind of argument about free will and human identity. Maybe they read the same Scientific American. There's no way Dean has been sitting around brooding about whether freedom is an illusion because of some magazine. So? People also have strokes or get dementia or schizophrenia, but we know we're more than just brains and chemicals. We have to be. There's ghosts. Why is a werewolf eat hearts? Well, Sam says slowly, they're kind of an animal, I guess. Because they're evil is the answer I was looking for, but sure. Either way, we get bitten, boom. That could be you or me. We could get hit by a car, too. Just because things happen doesn't mean we can't make our own decisions about what to do about them. Where are we? I don't know. Nebraska somewhere. What are we doing here? We're going to meet Dad. Why are we going to meet Dad? Because there's a hunt. And there's a hunt because Dad looked for it, because Dad knew to look for it, because of what happened to our family when you were just a baby. If it hadn't, we wouldn't know. We'd just be oblivious in a house somewhere like all the other people who don't know evil's just waiting to rip into them. We didn't choose our life any more than they did. I mean, I'm glad we got it. Ours is definitely more badass, but we wouldn't be here without all the levers and carrots and sticks. So, what? Sam stares at the outline of the dome light in the car's dark ceiling. We're all just rats in cages? <laughs> hey, you're the Smashing Pumpkins fan, not me. We do what we want, says Sam. Just because we don't know everything in every situation or bad things happen doesn't mean we don't make choices because we want things. Sure, what makes us want what we want? In the car, despite the windows being cracked, their breaths are closely confined. Their presences are pressed close up against each other. Every nose scratch and neck crack and fart caught between glass and vinyl and dashboard panels. When Dean touches a split in his lip with his tongue, Sam is hyper aware of it. And when Sam stretches to feel the pull in the muscles of his belly and between his ribs, he can hear and see Dean noticing it in the sloped reflection of the windshield. All this has always felt like it was leading somewhere. But nothing don't mean nothing if it ain't free. Anyway, yeah, I'll cut it off there. But that's like yeah. kind of the outline of the, the question of free will versus destiny and the illusion of free will. Yeah, and, determinism. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. 
So that's uh, <laughs> that's like the whole thing. Um, that's what yeah sets it off. I think like I don't I I still haven't watched all of Supernatural, but I've watched enough to know that like <clears throat> freedom and determinism, uh, free will and determinism is a big theme with both of them. I think particularly with Sam, since you know the whole he's got demon blood in him and he's destined to be this certain thing mm-hmm. like from the very beginning becomes a huge theme with Sam. So. Yeah, he's cert- he seems more preoccupied with it, I think, even in the show. Like, they both end up, you know, there's the plots with them being the vessels of Michael and Lucifer mm-hmm. and playing out this story that's already played out with uh, Michael and Lucifer and God as the two... And Chuck writing the books. Yes, and- of the two sons and the father. Um, and so it fits really well into the pre-established kind of themes of the show. But uh, certainly this story, I think, takes it more seriously. Um, yes. Yeah, and then we don't have to like comb through the rest of it, but um, I think we can kind of outline it. It's basically like it jumps from that flashback of them as kids to present day. They're in Missouri for a hunt, um, but they end up splitting off, I think. Yes. Um, but we really stay with Sam. Uh, actually, this whole thing is Sam's point of view. Right. Um, and he ends up very basically, if you don't mind me outlining it, it's um, yeah. There's the uh, mo- kind of a monster. It's kind of a monster of the week, or the, or the monster of the story is a succubus, also called a lily. In the story, um, Sam goes to the small town, hunts it down. He ends up getting hit. I think we can. Um, you can already tell from what I read. It's an extremely well written story. The description mm-hmm. and the um, kind of what am I trying to say? They just paint a really efficient but um, vivid, I think, picture. Yeah, it's never like overdone or never heavily done. Mm-mm. Yeah, like the um, Sam goes, and I think he first encounters who he thinks is um, maybe the succubus picking out her victims at this like buffet or this old yeah. cafe. And it's just like, yeah. um, here's a line. There's a lot of people here who look like they've been hitting the heat lamp buffet since the place was built. Like yeah, like a know. unique way of describing, but it's not just like there are about a dozen people sitting around vinyl booths and you know, it's like it's a I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's like not the obvious way to describe a scene, but it's vivid in the way that it does it. Yeah, it uses metaphor really like not again, not overly done, but just just enough to be effective and it's like kind of densely the words are work doing the work that they're supposed to. Yes. There's, there's not, there's not a whole lot that's extra, I guess. Yeah. It's something about where you get to a, a level as an author, or maybe you're naturally talented. I don't know, but exactly where the, like the words and how you use them somehow are doing the heavy lifting. And that it's not just you like having to describe every little thing. Like people, I think often in their early writing, really try and overwrite or over describe a scene. But the more yeah, you can do yeah. with less, I think the more effective it is. And like, even though, yeah, since Sam, I think she's got a wonderful Sam voice. But at the same time, you get these little flashes of Dean. They're just so Dean. <sighs> like I just had like marked like um, when they're discussing the how their case is going to divide and Dean's going to go do his thing. And Sam's just describing, yep, it's a lily. Going to go take care of it. And describing where the lily is, which is essentially in the true form, like a, a female and she's, but she's got like bird, like talons. Um, and then a phone call 
Let's see. I was just going to say, yeah, the lore says they have the body of a woman and the feet of a bird. Dean goes, that's hot. Um, and then like later, right when they're about to hang up, Dean's just like, don't bang Tweety Bird. And you can just like, it sounds like it's right off the script. I mean, that is like, that's something that Dean would say. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's got the writing down and it's got very uh, wonderful I think real realistic feeling characterization as well. Yeah. It's yeah. It feels like that, like kind of an ep- like it feels like it could be an episode. Feels like an episode. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's like the highest compliment I think for any supernatural fic, a, a good episode. <laughs> yeah. Something I think to do with like atmosphere is pretty heavy and supernatural. Mm-hmm. They get that case fic feel down, which is very difficult to do. It is very difficult. I said the same thing about Musaways. Um, yeah. That oh That's shit. Right. I'll think of it. Oh my god. Her um it, like takes place up in Michigan, I think you said the Great Lakes or Yeah, it was, was that or is it I remember listening to that episode, but I have to find the title or I'm gonna feel really bad. The Muse Way fic I was trying to think of is Superior. Mm. Lake Superior. Yep. It takes place up on Lake Superior. And that one too feels just like an episode. And I think one of the reasons is like the atmosphere of it is is very mm-hmm. like season two supernatural kind of like that awesome case fic episode um so yeah so we follow sam around while he's chasing or trying to track down this lily or the succubus he ends up tracking it to this apartment there is basically a skirmish with the succubus and then he gets hit with this little dart and uh, it, like, immediately starts in this, like, kind of lust feeling in him. <laughs> um, and I think he ends up beheading it or killing it. Like, that's the way yeah. that... Because um, if that had been consummated, he would be dead. That's right. That's right. Because the way it... Yeah, it hunts it. Yes. It was about to... It was about to consummate or whatever you want to say mm-hmm. about the victim. Um, the victim was still in the room. Um, but... Fortunately, Sam intervenes before, but he also gets hit, which normally would be um, incapacitate him to the point where she could do her thing, which would kill him. But because that never happens and he kills her, it means his hit is technically non-lethal, but with a a caveat there. Yes. Somehow, very well explained. Somehow, Sam then um, goes back to his hotel or whatever, cleans up his wounds, but he knows he's been hit. So um, I think he has to do some research or he's heard it before. There's something in the lore about... Because he wants to nail down the timeline because he says he knows basically what has to happen, but he wants to make sure what's the timeline. Is it a day? Is it a month? Is it a year? Finds out it's he's got one year to <laughs> basically achieve sexual climax with, with another person. And it will like absolve these because it is a creature of kind of magic. So it, 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 I mean, the reason why you can do this with fan fiction is because we can say because magic and because magic says these are the rules. And um, so he easily, this should be a non fatal wound. Yes. It's actually a year and a day. A year and a day. Is the, is the, what Sam finds out is his clock starts ticking. And so, yeah, then he basically goes back to Dean and instead of telling Dean what has happened, he does not. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's already kind of oddly making that. I, I think at that point, it's like an embarrassment thing. He just doesn't want to worry yes. Dean. And he feels like I got this under control. I've confirmed right. the lore a couple of different places. So I know I've got this much time. 
So he, Sam struggles a little bit, like he hires a prostitute. Um, yeah, I think that's even before, I think it's before he meets up with Dean, he tries to take care of it with the, with the sex worker. Yeah, um, you're probably right. Which is a great scene. Um, she's like really professional uh, and uh, yeah, feels like it could easily be real. Yeah. She's really nice. Really nice, really professional in her work. Um, but Sam, for whatever reason, can't do it. And so he figures, okay, well, you know, that's just a fluke, but I'll find a way. He goes back to Dean. I think he meets, or does he make the choice first? Well, they have the encounter in the bar. There's an encounter in the bar with a gal that, you know, Dean says, hey, she's making eyes at you. And Sam's like, in his mind, he's like, ah, fine. Okay, we might as well just do it now. And he gets the girl off, but then he's just like, nothing, you know, no, nothing's working on in, in his plumbing there. Um, and she's like, it's all offended. She's really, really mean. Um, but it's like they, I think they come back from the bar that night. And it's either that night or soon after he makes just this mental decision that like lifts the weight off his shoulders. Like, Oh, I actually don't have to. Yes. You're right. Oh, I wish I had that. Yeah. You're exactly. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Like Dean, Dean doesn't know exactly what's going on, but he, yeah, he knows something's up. He knows something's up. And he, you know, he tries to get Sam laid, can see that it didn't go well. And it's trying to figure out what's going on. And yeah, I, I should find that moment where, but basically essentially Sam just lets this like wave of like peace kind of roll over him. Um, yeah. And he kind of decides that I'm not going to save myself, um, which is a strange decision to make. And the reader at this time is thinking, okay, Sam, whatever. Um and you're kind of in your head already projecting that Dean's going to fix it and Sam's going to fix it. And it's all going to be fine. Yeah, I found it. Do you want me to read a little bit? Oh, yeah, if you would, to. please. Um, so it's basically just like Dean's come home and he's starting to put away groceries. And I think Sam's just kind of watching. Um, so nevertheless, standing beside Dean in the kitchen, Sam finds himself pulled into a deep well of peace, shelving Campbell's soup. The feeling is so far past his understanding that he might marvel at it were it not so total. His earlier disquiet is gone, swept gently away like leaves off a stoop. He feels like something inside him is waiting for something, but it's a quiet sense, not an urgent one. It's waiting the way ground and spring waits. He has the realization as he's emptying the last bag, he and Dean are making conversation about the price of produce, Dean complaining about how they're paying more in the middle of farmland than they would in a city, Sam saying something about supply chains and food deserts. At the same time, his mind is tracing the cardioid shape on the dart he dug out of the stomach, and all at once he understands why he's still under the Lily's curse, despite two attempts to cure it and Winchester DNA. It isn't that he's not capable of doing this, it's that he's not willing to. Given its magnitude, there should probably be some outward manifestation of this epiphany, but he doesn't even stop putting away the groceries. Sam just thinks, no. And the moment he does, he feels very light inside. Oh, that's great. So it's like, and all like the metaphor about the spring waiting in the ground and the cardio, it's just like language like that. You're like, oh, it's so good. Yeah. I remember a couple of times you and me, um, 
texted back and forth just some vocab. I feel like we do that when we. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what cardioid was. Like, oh, it's heart shaped. Yeah, makes sense. cardioid shaped, heart shaped. Um, and the deaf way too. Like, it's never explicitly stated, at least not until later on in the fic that like Sam is in love with Dean, but it's never made super obvious. Um, it's all like buried in him. Like it, like it is for Sam and for the reader, it's kind of buried and, but you get these little moments, but this is why he's not willing to do it because he's, he's in love. At least there's a big part of it. That's great. You're right. It is. It feels very, um, either one-sided incest or, um, pre or kind of implied or, you know, whatever like that. Yeah. Like you're right. I didn't think about yeah. that. Like how it's suppressed in Sam as well as in the writing itself. There's, uh, one of the, I know we're just reading a lot, but that, um, I think a good example of that is when I think right before Sam and Dean actually talk about it, because at some point you realize, or it's said that Dean actually has figured out what's going on. He just hasn't yeah. said anything yeah. and they go out and they they're on the road and they pull over at this river and they decide to go fishing oh yeah you remember that part? i forgot about that all i could think about it was like and you're i know you're gonna probably read the part mm-hmm. but the beautiful way that especially dean is described yes. and it like shot me right back to if you've ever seen a river runs through it and just like the it's like a very lovingly photo i feel like that movie is <laughs> impartially like how beautifully Brad Pitt is shot mm-hmm. and it's like this character but also embodied by Brad Pitt the beauty of him as he's fishing like that's actually I think a part of the story of a reverence through it and in this way like that scene is like I'm like wow that's just like how De- we see Dean here uh yeah that's actually a great I think I remember you bringing up a reverence through it and I actually haven't seen the movie but I've I've read the book mm. You need to. <laughs> I think both the movie and the book are like kind of memory and the aesthetics of like everything is sort of beautiful in memory, especially yeah. of the ones that we love. Um, yeah. And the, the last line of A River Runs Through It is something like, um, I'm haunted by waters or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Isn't that a great yeah. line? But it's um, anyway, but it's like, I can see what you mean by just like kind of this sort of ethereal beauty of um, how Brad Pitt is shot. And you could think about a river. It's like you have the sun coming down on the water and everything's sort of reflective. Yes. yes. Um, and anyway, yeah, I'll, I know we've been reading a lot, but I'm, I'm going to read this. That's okay. I mean, this is one of those fakes that you're like, I wish I could write like this. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, let me read this couple paragraphs. So they've uh, pulled over. Sam hasn't told Dean. Dean hasn't said anything. We'll figure out shortly hereafter that Dean actually does know. But. Here we go. Um, Dean's in a weirdly good mood, aggressively so, even, singing snatches up CCR as they pick their way down to the river from the road. Dean with the nightcrawlers, Sam with the beers. The river is smaller than Sam remembers it, but that doesn't seem to bother Dean any. He just calls out, that one, Sammy, that's our rock, and points to a broad, flattish boulder that divides the rapids from a promising trout pool. Dean strikes out first. Fishing rod in one hand, styrofoam chest of bait in the other. Sam watches him jump from rock to rock, cursing when he slips, even though his shoes are wet already. A sweat roar shock on his t-shirt where his shoulder blades pressed into the car's backrest. The boulder is clearly a popular spot. Beer cans and cigarette butts are lodged in the cracks, and someone's left bent aluminum deck chairs out here, two of which they appropriate. It's a clear, hot day. 
one of those gems of late summer or early fall when the sun pours out of endless cobalt blue and lights up everything with a brilliance it will hold only once or twice a year. Dean settles into one of the bent but serviceable deck chairs, crosses his legs, on which his jeans are rolled up to the knees, at the ankles, pops a long neck with his ring, and turns his face up to the sky. For several long seconds, Sam can't breathe. It isn't only how beautiful Dean is right then, though he is. It's everything. Everything Dean is. And the fact that Dean is everything. <sighs> so, a lovely, lovely little segment there of just Sam realizing that he's in his last days and just being kind of overwhelmed by this kind of um, moment of grace and uh, being present in the moment and taking in that everything Dean is and the fact that Dean is everything. So it's a beautiful language, beautiful description. Yeah. Yeah. It's like contentedness for the moment. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I probably should have read the next sentence or two. It. I'll just say real, um, the feeling overwhelms Sam. It hurts his chest and stops his mouth. It's too big. It's always been too big. So he's always shied away from it. But ever since his decision, he keeps tiptoeing up to the edge of it because he doesn't want to die with at least trying to feel all of it. It's nice. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that scene. Yeah, give me goosebumps just because. That sweat roar shock. Oh, I know. Sweat roar shock. You're like, when did I think of that? Mm Mm-hmm. It's probably going to end up on one of my fixes. I know. Just because it's just take it, just take it. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I don't know. It's like that's when the reader, for me anyway, I'm like, because I think you do get the sense as the reader, if I remember right, that you are picking up that Dean's starting to pick up something on something. And you're thinking maybe Dean's going to like, it's all going to be okay because Dean will say, I love you too. And then they'll be in love and then it'll all be fine. Yeah, absolutely. As a win says fan and, and the way that it's very subtly, but sprinkled throughout Sam's perhaps got some repressed feelings of attraction for his brother. And you, anyone who's seen supernatural knows that Dean will do anything for his brother. You're thinking yeah. that all that needs to happen at this point, we're halfway through literally that part is about halfway through the story. You're like, okay, so mm-hmm. Dean just needs to find out. And then um, he needs to convince Sam that... That this would not be just, you know... Yeah. He needs to basically... Because obviously, yeah, Sam's thinking and you as a reader know, realizes that Sam doesn't want it to be just a one time because it has to happen to save his life. Yeah. And that's part of, like, this wouldn't be a problem if Dean... If he knew Dean loved him mm-hmm. and he knew that this would be a, uh, you know, out of a sincere desire on both their parts to be consummated or whatever, however you want to say it. Like it wouldn't, it's not a problem. Yeah. And the reader's like, that's funny because Dean's probably loves you too, Sam. You just don't know it. Right. Because this is when says. And so, uh, anyway, they just need to talk this shit out and it's all going to be fine. Yeah. You're going through, <laughs> Even though Sam's being stubborn about it. You know, we know Sam's going to be like, you're only doing this because you have to. And then Dean has to say, it's not just because I have to. And it's all going to be worked out. And it's going to be fine. Right? Uh, It's so funny. Yeah, that's absolutely (laughs) like, as fan fiction, you have certain expectations about certain tags and the way stories tend to go. And so 
even when something, you know, you're like, oh, this, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. You're kind of thinking like, okay, you're always trying to project forward. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And especially in a trope like fuck or die, you're like, this is the way it goes. This is the way I know it's going to go. So I don't know exactly how, but this is what has to happen. And so as you're reading and scrolling and reading and scrolling, you're like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Okay, okay. <laughs> Something ev- eventually it all does come to a head where Dean tells Sam, I know what the fuck is going on. You need to fuck. Yeah. And um I it's it's like, oh yeah, it's a great scene. I think when they're back at the bunker at the men of letters, Dean's yeah. basically like, I would you what you wouldn't think I would do this for you. Of course I would do this for you or whatever. And then Sam, I can't remember if he exactly articulate I think he does. He basically tells Dean, No, I'm not I've made my choice. Yeah, this is going to play out without me fighting back, and I have this many months left, and I'm going to live them how I want, and it's my choice. Of course, yeah, you know, Dean's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And as the reader, yes. you're with Dean, you're like, "Yeah, what the fuck are you talking about, Sam? What are you talking about? You just you don't want to fuck, so you're going to die. Like, what is wrong with you?" And I think as the reader, it takes some time, even after the fact even after the fic is over to actually respect Sam's decision. Cause I didn't for like a long time. I was just sort of pissed at Sam. I was like, what is wrong with you, dude? But of course the whole theme of the fic is choice and Dean, there's a critical scene of course, where Dean decides to take matters into his own hands and oh, not yeah. respect Sam's decision. And so essentially Sam has told Dean his decision. That he's going to die. He has the rest of his year and a day left He's going to let it play out. He wants them to have the time that they have left and live that to the fullest, but he's not going to, he's not going to do it. Um, and Dean basically, uh, roofies saying, I don't know, roofies or what yeah. he gives yeah. him, but he basically drugs Sam and he's like, take, you know, we're going to make this. He's happen. opening his pants up and he's going to do it. And then I, I think Sam is able to sort of fight back and then Dean just sort of realizes what he's doing. And he can't. Well, I think you pass out like you pass out with Sam sort of. And then when you wake up. Yeah. Or I think maybe I didn't. I need to reread it. But you do, you know, comes to and realization that nothing happened because, you know, Dean, he thought I could do what needed to be done. And of course, it's Dean. He can't rape his brother. <laughs> yes, he can't go through with it. <laughs> he can't go through with it. So and there's a lot of just like. Dean just angry and in disbelief and Cass is in this too as a supporting character I believe and you find out that Cass has been looking for solution but there isn't a solution Um, yeah so there's some angst and some um, pre-Wincest or some Wincest adjacent scenes but I wouldn't really call this a Wincest fic per se yeah I mean I guess not like it's that's what's hard um, to kind of figure out where precisely Dean actually, where is he or is he capable of falling in love? I can't really, it was hard for me to go back and reread this. I really didn't want to, to be honest. I know. (laughs) One of those like so good. It's just painful. Yeah. Cause there is a scene, Um, I think after Dean tries to do what he tries to do that Sam, like, it's kind of sweet. Like he, they're watching Bruce Lee together or something like that. Is that what you're thinking of or something? Oh, I don't know. It's a pretty aggressive scene. I think where Sam, like, tells Dean to get on the bed and he and he like orders Dean to like oh, get himself yeah. off and it's like sort of loathing and um strange um but it underlies yeah. that probably Dean has some repressed feelings for Sam so in that way 
I, I guess I would call it a Wincess fic. Right, right. But it's like at this point, and that's what's frustrating because you're like, no, they could have it, right? But Sam like feels that it still wouldn't be truly consensual or something. Or, it's, or it's, I don't even think it's a consent at all. I think it's, it's, just, it's just the choice. It's just the choice. It's the principle of the choice of free will. It's, it's very hard, for I think, for most people to to understand that, which doesn't mean that it's not understandable for Sam. It just means that it's it's that's what I, I think a lot of the comments are like people and we should we should talk about the comments soon and the reaction this elicited out of some people but that um just because it's like your job as the author is to try to create empathy and understanding between the characters and the reader but just because the reader doesn't quite get there doesn't maybe doesn't mean that the author didn't do their job it just means that it's such a complicated choice for sam and so individual to sam's circumstances because he's been at the whim of of circumstance or of fate his whole life that he's finally he's finally made that choice for himself and this is what's going to happen no matter what it's just it's very hard because we want a happy ending it's very hard for us to to truly understand that it's almost impossible also for dean yeah i think a lot of the readers besides the fact that you know you can uh, rightfully object to what dean tries to do to sam basically rape him um you can understand that dean's desperation to save his brother and as the mm-hmm. reader who loves both of his characters even though you think oh in principle i should hate what dean did but you're kind of right there with him you're like just do it you need to save his life yeah. you know? and so and you're like well and that idea of doing anything yes because this is about his brother's life yes and it, and they need you know it's like he would do anything to keep sam alive yep and so for yeah, I think you're right that it's like most people philosophically, it's hard for them to understand Sam's choice. But that's the whole like this whole fic is built around free the question of free will, and it's it it almost yeah. is like Sam is sacrificing his life almost sort of on principle, which is hard to understand. Right, right, yes. But it's it's the principle of the question, and. Um, yeah. So even if you're, you know, you're like, oh, I just, uh, I, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't even really see it. The fic is so well written. And because I think of that framing structure of like those, that 20 questions, there's also interestingly, there's this like allegory of um, the Fisher King or the Fisherman King. Um, oh, yes. I don't know. It's, it's mentioned at least once that, um, oh yeah, I guess there's some canon that I haven't seen that this references, but um, I was oh the shoulder wound yeah the yes um, I said I have a note here that Sam references his wound from the equalizer gun when he shot Chuck and is wounded sympathetically so there's some point in the show where Sam shoots Chuck who is God or whatever and and somehow the gun basically whatever wound it creates is mirrored in the person shooting the gun and um, oh okay. let me see here. I know that's like I don't think either of us have seen those. Episodes. Um, so Sam's in the shower. There's just a little line here, um, and the water soothes the ache in his shoulder. For a long time, he thought the hole the equalizer punched in him would never close, that it would remain open and festering until whatever turned his lights out for good, like some kind of Fisher King wound. And I had to, I was like looking up all the vocabulary, yeah. things like this. So the Fisher King is an Arthurian legend. Uh, he was a king and one of the keepers of the Holy Grail, and he had this unhealing, cursed wound. Um, just like all old legends, it kind of varies, but usually it's either 
his knees that are this wound or on his groin. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it was a punishment for marrying a woman and violating the code of the grail keepers. He, because of the nature of the wound, he can't stand. So he spends his days in a boat fishing. Oh. Yeah. And then in some of the versions, there's a knight named Percival and he's able to heal the wound by asking like a specific question or, or a, I don't know. There's something about that, which made me think about the 20 questions game. So I don't know how mm-hmm. um, strategic that was. I would guess for an author of this caliber, it's, it probably has something to do with the 20 questions. I don't know. But yeah. um, anyway, I just thought that was cool that they sort of put in this cool. allegory. Um, like another thing that comes to mind is when we were talking about the title and how like it, there is a, I don't know, there's layers to it. So like fuck or die. And for Sam, the operative word is the or. And then I know we're talking about it because I still didn't quite make sense to me. But then I thought for Sam, it becomes in order to truly be alive and to be alive with agency and with free will to come through on this premise of fuck or die. If like if he has sex, he will essentially be dead. Because he has sacrificed his freedom and his will. Because circumstances dictated his choices for him. So in that way, I don't know, I was playing with words. Like it becomes fuck and die. But mm. so the, the the choice is, I guess, in the or. Um, and that's where his freedom comes in choosing to die rather than to, to have sex. I don't know. It's just like, so that's like the freedom is, is what makes him a human person. And that's like another theme, like for him to be true to himself and to be truly alive, he has to die, which is like awful, (laughs) but, but authentic, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sam being able to make that choice. And it's, I guess in the way of subversion of a trope, it turns death into life and life into death. It like yeah. literally turns yeah. it upside down on its head. Right. Which is so great. It does make you never want to read this again because of how depressing that <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It reads it and for a podcast, you're like, oh yes. I'm it's like put my soul back there again. I feel like we put off this episode for a couple months and part yeah, of that might have been, yeah, been just a little bit depressing to talk about. But yeah. we also love talking about great authors and uh yes. authors courage and uh Yes, true authorial courage. That's true. Yes. And so uh, I think we should talk about, yeah, the reaction to this fig <laughs> yeah. um, and then what it, what it really means to and how it embodies the choose not to warn option. So we're talking about free will, Sam's free will. Let's talk about the author's free will and the author's choice and what is choose not to warn and uh, what is it um, as it relates to AO3s archive warnings so if you look up because a lot of people don't know they don't really understand what choose not to warn is because let's look at some of these reactions let's look at some of the negative reactions there's actually yeah there's there's actually a bunch of stuff <laughs> yeah i was looking at this one from um there was a reader called nightmare <laughs> who says um who commented the author shows they have no respect for their readers by deliberately not adding warnings with the sole purpose to mislead people into reading a fic that otherwise they, had they been given any choice to make an informed decision, would not have touched with a 10-foot pole. 
Um, it goes on to say they have the gall to accuse anyone who rightfully criticizes them for not tagging this as the death fic that it is of not caring enough about the wait. Okay. Yeah. Now some odd wording. How they're saying. Yeah. A little bit odd phrasing, not caring about the attempted rape scene and is equating um, death with sexual assault all in the same breath. Let me go to the original one. Sorry. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're th- uh, the goal. They're saying the author is accusing people who are in the right, who are rightfully criticized them. Um, yes. That the reader the- doesn't care enough about the attempted rape scene. The reader is equating death That's with sexual right. assault, which shows on the author's part a, a woeful lack of basic moral compass. So accuses Roadrunner of lacking a basic moral compass. So, <laughs> so by writing this fiction and not tagging it in the way that this reader would like it to be tagged, Roadrunner has the lack has a shows a woeful lack of a basic moral compass, which seems to be quite an extreme uh, accusation. There, yeah, absolutely. I think at the root of a lot of these comments from readers upset readers so basically a lot of the big theme is people read this fic they don't even pay they don't pay attention and notice which is understandable in some ways that the writers chosen not to use archive warnings they read it they get to the end and they go no and they feel immediately like extremely upset and they feel in grief and they feel like they've wasted two or three hours or whatever it took them to read and they just have a horrible night. Maybe they've had a long day at work and they wanted some comfort fic or something. And then they leave a scathing review. I was going to say, and to, 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 they're also implying the, the reasons behind writing this like this. And that, like a, a few of these are like uh, logged in as guests or not logged in. So they comment as guests, but then you can give yourself a little guest name or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this one's got yeah, truth destroyed. I have never, ever read a fuck or die fic that ended in death. Now, this this one admits that, um, quote, although you are well within your rights to refuse to use the tagging system, please spare me the rote response as to what it means. Your motivation was to increase traffic, period. You could have easily given your reader an author's note or offered to answer questions before people read it. You are absolutely aware of how the fuck or die trope works and what readers expect from it. I would not have read major character death ever. I've been reading creator chose not to use archive warnings for years and never, ever encountered major character death. Now my trust in the good faith relationship between reader and AO3 author is considerably less. Thanks for the lesson. Wow. So like, there's a lot in there that you can unpack. I mean, it's like they, they admit that the roadrunners within their rights to use the, to uh, refuse to use the tagging system. But they say, because you're using a trope that everyone just implicitly knows should not include death, even though it's fuck or die, because everyone expects implicitly that it won't be death, the author should, like, the author should know that readers will not expect major character death. Therefore, even though you use choose not to warn, you do have to use major character death. Uh, and that that is involved in this good faith relationship between reader and writer. And like brings up like, what's the responsibility, the ethical responsibility of the writer? I, I think for us, just where we come from, this all sounds kind of insane. Yep. But other people seem to not feel that way. Probably most people that don't comment don't feel this strongly, but the people that do comment tend to have very uh, 
strong feelings about it. But that and that accusation, like, oh, you just did this to increase traffic. That's insane to me. Like the level of writing is off. That is so obviously is that there's an art to this fic that it wasn't just, this was not just spat out in 24 hours. There's like obviously a lot of love and craft in it. And so, so just to accuse an author that you just did this for traffic. It's like, that's crazy to me. Oh yeah. It is crazy. I think a lot of, yeah, it all boils down to the philosophy of fan fiction and what it's for and who it's for and where Mm -hmm. the burden of, how would you phrase that? Like, what is the author owe to the reader? Yes. What is the author owe to the kind reader? Of. And what is the reader? Yeah, I think. And in this case, these I feel like these commenters feel it more as like a one way street. Where I think if you think about it, and we'll we'll dig into the um, uh, kind of meta work that Road Rhythm posted hmm. that yeah. is called. Um, oh, I had it up. And now I don't. It's called Here There Be Dragons. The, quote, creator chose not to warn tag is useful, necessary, and yes, ethical. So there's this essay, essentially, or outline that Road Rhythm uh, published, and it's long and comprehensive and awesome. But at the, yeah, the the sort of root of what um, causes this inflammatory reaction in readers. And I feel like, I don't know this for sure, I feel like a lot of it is readers who are not writers. yeah. Like they don't understand what it is to have something inside you that you want to create and express and then to work through that to a point where it's um, you've, you've put time and love and effort into it and then to post it. Yeah. Um, I and feel I like okay. a lot of readers who don't write maybe you feel like are just get used to consuming content and they feel a little bit like they're owed something. Mm, yeah. um, but of course, you have to remember that these these writers are not being paid. This is – you can't imagine how many hours go into a lot of these works. Like even something that's short. Like this is seven – or sorry, that's something else. Um, this work 000, is – Almost 34,000 nearing. 34,000 words. And it's not um, – it just takes – you have no idea how long sometimes – I mean some people write faster than this, but it's time and blood, sweat, and tears. And that's time away from your family and time away from your job and all this stuff. So um, mm-hmm. it's like – I feel like some readers forget that authors are human beings instead of just content creators and they just are get used to just going on AO3 at the end of the day and they want what they want and that's great. But if you're going to do that, this is this is actually gets to why AO3 is so important because um, just like, like our political system, like everything else in life, um, everybody has different wants and needs and motivations and those things don't always coexist in harmony. That's what an ecosystem is. There's like a natural give and take. And if you want an ecosystem to be sustainable, then you have to create some uh, sustainable rules. And AO3 has worked many years very hard on like, what is the right number of rules and which ones are enforceable and which ones don't impede on author's freedom of speech and um, ability to be creative and express themselves and aren't just like policing what can and cannot. Like if you really want an environment where there's an extremely clear set of what can and cannot be published, you just go to China, right? You just go to communist China. Xi Jinping will tell you that, um, okay, well, there's no gay relationships on TV um, there's no uh, slandering of the Chinese government. There is no sexual, explicit sexual content. Like it's all, it's very easy to make rules. 
Um, but that leads to yeah. obviously an oppressive, like when was the last time anyone talked about the artistic merits of Chinese film? Well, it doesn't really happen because it's not good. You talk about Korean cinema, you talk about Japanese cinema because they have freedom of speech in those places and Hollywood and, you know, American film have, have been so enduring because, you know, as long as you can get funding for it, you can make it and you can find an audience. But if you relegate and I, I don't know, I'm going on and on now, but basically well, you're right. That like, I mean, it's funny how the, the reader response absolutely like harkens right back to the center of the story, which is freedom and freedom to choose your own ending. Yes. That, like crazy. Like it, it, it all, it all lines up. And the other thing that like a good point too would be, cause I think the pushback that you get from that is like, well, we're not saying that they can't write it. Right. But we're saying road rhythm has an ethical obligation to tag anything that could trigger me and things that will bother me. I need to know about it, even though they have a choose not to warn, but road rhythm would, you know, one one of the first things that pops in my mind is like what the reading experience is going to be very different if you not only have choose not to warn, but if you also had this fuck or die tag and you had a major character death tag, you know what's coming. Like I, the experience of reading this story and not knowing the ending is the reading experience that should be allowed to exist and you shouldn't have to tag everything and that's the entire point of the choose not to warn tag is that, you know what, if you know that certain things trigger you or whatever, then the only thing you can do is avoid anything tagged with choose not to warn because it is, it is swimming at your own risk. And I think a good portion enjoy that reading experience. I think some authors that is their, um, it's a principle of writing that they don't believe in warnings and that's fine. That's the one they choose. And then other authors believe heavily in tagging and tagging very explicitly. And here's a note that lists all these potential triggers that you might have or whatever, but it's the freedom to do so and the freedom not to do so. Um, I think that road rhythm would, would kind of double down on and say, Hey, you know, no, I didn't tag it like that. And I didn't tag it for a reason and that it was my artistic license not to tag it. And it's your responsibility as a consenting adult that if you think that you can be set off, because I mean, people were saying this story sent me off into like a mental health spiral and, you know, and too it's, it's really, you know, that's too bad. But if you, how <laughs> am I trying to say this? If you know that you can react to material like that, to fictional material on the internet, this is not me shaming anyone, but if you, is your job to be aware of that potential? If you know you can't swim well in deep waters, then you wouldn't just go out without a life vest, right? So, And the life vest in this case is the ch author chose not yeah. to use archive warnings. That's right. the thing about this is that this is the nature of this warning. It is a warning. Yeah, it it's is a, a compromise. Um, Road Rhythm says, I can't find the actual part in the Here, there be Dragon, Here Be Dragons essay, but essentially Road Rhythm makes the point that Yes, yes, I understand that like, um, you know, major characters that's triggering and all that not, but the whole point of choose not to warn is so that we can opt out of that because the experience of reading fan fiction and wanting to be surprised yeah. and wanting, yeah, and, and 
is just as valid as wanting the experience of what people might call comfort fic. Right. And those are two different philosophies. I mean, it's not exactly two different philosophies, but it it is like two two different priorities maybe. Actually, it's the number one. So what what this Here Be Dragons essay, it's it's uh, road rhythm lining out the common objections to choose not to warn and then responding to that. So let's just read the number one here. Cool. Number one reason that people object to choose not to warn. I come to fanfic for comfort and familiarity. I don't want to be surprised. So this is Road Rhythm's response. Nothing wrong with that. I also engage in a lot of comfort reading and I have no plans to cut back. When I am not in the mood to be surprised, I skip choose not to warn fix. But sometimes I am in the mood to be surprised, and so are a lot of other people. When used as a justification for choose not to warn shouldn't exist, quote, I come to fanfic for comfort and familiarity, end quote, carries a writer that this is the only correct way to interact with fan content. It's tinged with a certain amount of snobbery, too. Quote, oh, you want surprises in your fanfic? Don't you know it's not that serious? Silly rabbit, fan works are for kids. It's fine to read fanfic and like it, is the implication, but make sure to be self-aware about how inconsequential it is. Um, so that's like, and she, yeah. she kind of goes on, but, but basically it's like, um, some people like surprises in their fic, just as much as a lot of people like to come home at the end of a long day of work and be comforted. Both right. those experiences are fine. AO3's job, when they were building the structure of their warning system, was to accommodate both of these needs. And to do that, they came up with a warning system. And AO3 has six warnings. And in order to be specific warnings that authors are required to choose, uh, they have to be enforceable. So those warnings are major character death, underage, rape slash non-con, and graphic violence, the, then there are other two that are often misunderstood. One is no warnings apply. And of course, the last is choose right. not to use right. arc of warnings. So, yeah, they're, they're conflating the two, some of these readers. Yes, exactly. So, AO3 requires when you post a work, you have to choose, you have to note your warnings, or you have to opt out by choosing choose not to use arc of warnings. You have to do one of those two things. Right. So, if you read a fic and it has a major character death but they didn't tag major character death additionally they did not tag chose not to use arc of warnings you can report that fic right the three's not going to take it down but they are going to give the author a warning like hey you gotta you gotta either tag this mcd or you have to opt out and say choose not to arc of warnings use arc of warnings so that protects the right of writers to write whatever they want to write and also leave that that element of mystery and surprise. Um, and so if you're a reader who does not like surprises in your fic, you should treat choose not to use archive warnings as the worst tag that you can think of that you would never read. So right. if you're triggered by major character death or rape or graphic violence, anytime you see – you can even filter out. You can exclude fix Right, with choose not to warn. Tagged choose not to warn. So that way – Everybody is kind of protected the best way they can. Readers are protected, but they have to be educated about what AO3 does and what the archive warning system is. Otherwise, you're just complaining. You're an uneducated complainer. Right. 
I think it shifts that burden of responsibility from just all being on the writer to being on the reader as well. I think also, you know, treats in, I think that approach more treats readers as also adults who are self-aware. Cause I think if, I mean, if you truly are, um, you know, set off by something that you read like that, you're self-aware enough to know that, you know, that goes hand in hand. So if you're, um, if, if you're self-aware of what you need to avoid to, you know, take care of your own mental health, then that's the responsibility you have to protect yourself. And so that the onus is not just on the writer. I mean, you would, you're only going to come out like just the quality of fiction that would come out of a world that had to censor itself because of a reaction from the reader would not be one that we'd want to live in. So it treats the reader with respect as well in that you protect yourself, you be self-aware, you take care of yourself and you can filter out whatever you want. And that, yeah, that's why AO3 is so great because you can have, you can approach it in whatever way you want and you can literally filter out anything. And if there are those occasional exceptions, you're able to report them. But yeah, like you say, no archive warnings apply is totally different from creator chooses not to warn you. Yes. Yeah. I guess I didn't specifically explain that. No archive warnings apply means that none of those four specific ones um, occur. Like you, you knowingly are saying that you're all good. You are, you are, it's like, uh, what is that little Minecraft game? It's like, you're revealing the field and saying, there are no bombs here. There are no mines. Yeah. Yeah, That little, you remember that little game that used to come on like Windows 98, Minecraft? Oh, you're saying Minesweeper, which is different. Sorry, not Minecraft. Oh my God. Minesweeper. It's like you have revealed the Minesweeper field. There's no bombs. Right. But Creator chose not to warn. That means that all those little blocks are gray. You don't know where they are. Good luck. (laughs) Have fun. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty much well describes it. And Road Rhythm, that essay is great. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's even fun to read the comments of the operative word because there's actually at least one person that was extremely um, angry and oh, then yeah. came back like a couple months later and was like, listen, I've thought about this. You were actually totally right. I was totally in the wrong for excoriating you. Um about this, like I should have known what chose not to warn is, and I think this is a beautiful fic, and so it's kind of cool to see somebody totally turned around. Yeah, it's quite a battlefield in that comment section. I think like Road Rhythm's clear that uh, they no longer have any interest in engaging with the comments anymore because what um, you know what the author wanted to say, they've said and has been said. So um, I don't think we I don't think we solicited out to. Uh, road, road Rhythm. Did I say Road Runner? I don't know. Anyway, Road You did rhythm. at one point, but that's okay. Yeah, road sorry. Rhythm, yep. Uh, road Rhythm. I don't think we solicited it out for uh, an interview, I don't think. Um, I'm, I'm not sure have... you'd even get a response. If they happen to want to, that's awesome. But I think uh, they've been pretty clear about uh, they've said a lot of words about this fic and don't have particular interest in um, engaging with it again. But because it stands for what it is, which is really cool, which is like the essential theme of the story is freedom. And so there's the the way that it has this like, you know, kind of meta layer to it is like really cool. It is awesome. It's like, yeah, the more I think about it, like how how the fic and the story itself embody 
the choose not to warn, the choice and choose not to warn and, and what that means to writers. It's like so cool. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I thought maybe I'd sent them a message on Tumblr, but now I see that maybe I haven't. So um, yeah, Road, Road Rhythm, if this gets back to you and you would like to come on and talk about it, let us know. But, um, or any other stories, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But this is a this is one um, – I think I found this fic via um, the – Dream oh the fan cake community on Dreamwith. So Dreamwith is kind of the place where Live Journal users migrated after Live Journal was oh, sold okay. out to a private company. And um Dreamwith is run by um people who are um fan fiction authors and readers and it's kind of like where I find a lot of old school fans still hang out and have blogs a lot of people who used live journal heavily and didn't want to give that up so they're now in dream with but there's a community called fan cake and it's a rec community and actually it sounds so bad because i it sounds like i just follow rivkati around but i think this was maybe (laughs) nothing wrecked by rivkati i can't remember somebody anyway this was on the fan cake rex and I, it was so great because I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't even like – I'm not someone who um, – I've been lucky enough in my life that I don't have triggers really. So I, I don't even pay attention to Creator yeah. Chose Not to Warn. Um, so I, I went into it having no suspicions, no idea and was just immediately absorbed. And then, yeah, at the end I was like – <laughs> and, then, and then I immediately messaged Laura and was like, I can't tell you anything, but – uh, please read this and um, message me when you're done. And I was surprised, then, like, because looking back, I'm like, well, I should have known, like, the reaction you gave me. But honestly, I think you were careful about it. And you're like, this is just so well written. It's a, it's a fuck or die. It's a trope done really well. And I don't know if you had said it in an original way or not. But, I mean, I came into it thinking, I mean, obviously, they're not going to kill Yeah, the whole, <laughs> last, like, like, the whole last <gasps> part of it is like, Nope, no, 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 what? Nope, 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 nope. Boy, we're getting to the end here. What's going to happen? I only have 100 words left, surely. (laughs) The disbelief and the acceptance will stay with you. Yeah, it sticks. If you like fiction that sticks with you, um, surely you've read it by now, and surely you haven't just ignored my warnings and listened to this episode. Oh, shame on you, warnings. Exactly. Lesson to you. Uh, anyway, it's great. Um, it's great. Yeah. Well, well done. I'm glad we got to talk about that because I feel like it really choose not to warn is something that um, I think a lot of people don't understand. And if they don't understand, they get mad about it. And especially a lot of young yep. people. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Seems like it. It's, I don't know. It's the, it's the right the right to party. What is the beast in the immortal words of the Beastie Boys? Oh, you got to fight for your right to you party. Fight for your right to party. <laughs> got to fight for your right to ride. I don't know. You got to fight for your right to choose not to warn. It's not quite have the same rhythm, but you know, not quite. I'm not sure quite. we could alter it. Well, this has been a good discussion. Uh, thanks for jumping on with me and drinking some alcohol and. Always a pleasure. Talking Always about this pleasure. wonderful yet depressing yeah. work. <laughs> That's okay. It's been fun. Uh, let's see. Are we looking forward to uh, anything on your periphery? Or- oh, I forgot. I didn't put it in the intro. Um, 
if you know the fanfic Maverick, uh, Chaos Blue, ooh, ooh, ooh. Beth and I are actually doing a panel at Planet Comic Con in April in Kansas City. Which will be exciting. Mm-hmm. So Beth's literally coming up in person. Um, this is my hometown, kind of my hometown con. I've actually never been to a Comic Con, which is interesting. Um, but we'll be for about an hour. We'll be talking about fanfic in person. So I'm sure we'll be able to record it and post it. But um, we're actually getting together tomorrow to do some planning. Woo-hoo. Yeah, so our first Comic Con panel. Um, Yep, that's really my exciting news. That's all I got, I think. All right, sweet. I don't have any exciting news, so. Damn. Well, Damn. you just keep keep reading your Gallagher cest. Yep. And, and writing your Tim Damey. Working out my Tim Damey. Yep. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, thanks for talking fanfic with me today, Laura. I appreciate it. No problem. Cheers. Bye. I've got to come up with a better outro. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>